You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Uh, Just before we get started on this week's episode of the show before the show, uh, just a brief preview of what is ahead. We recorded this episode uh, with me sitting in the Tokyo Dome uh, prior to a broadcast at the Premier 12 tournament. So the audio is a little different from what you're normally uh, accustomed to on uh, Show Before the Show episodes because kind of spotty Wi-Fi in in a loud arena and all that type of stuff. But I wanted to get that to you today because got a chance to catch up with Alec Baum, the top-ranked Philadelphia Phillies prospect, uh, who is a member of this United States Premier 12 team. Talked to him actually today, recording this on the uh, 15th of November after his team came from behind for a 3-2 victory over Chinese Taipei on a two-run homer by 8th-ranked Minnesota Twins prospect Brent Rooker. Uh, So, talked with Alec. Um, This interview, by the time you hear this, the situation may have changed for the United States. That win kept the U.S. alive uh, to play for possibly a bronze medal coming up on Sunday. Um, They are actually awaiting the results of a game that started just a little while ago between Mexico and Korea. If Korea wins that game, still a chance that the U.S. will play against Mexico for a bronze medal on Sunday, and the winner of that game would go on to the Olympics. Uh, if Mexico wins that game, then the U.S. would be eliminated from Olympic bid contention in this year's tournament, but could still uh, come home with a gold medal at all. kind of depends on how some other stuff shakes out tomorrow on the final day of the round before the championship round. So just wanted to give you a heads up on uh, on the audio. Alec Baum is coming up in a little bit, and enjoy this week's episode of The Show Before the Show. This is going to be the most uh, audibly strange recording of the show before the show podcast uh, in in our long and illustrious history. Because I'm currently sitting uh, inside the Tokyo Dome watching uh, Tampa Bay Rays, uh, I believe 17th ranked prospect Jake Cronenworth uh, hit batting practice. He and his team are set to go against Chinese Taipei coming up here in about two hours from Tokyo. So it is currently 9.53 a.m. on Friday, the 15th of November, 2019. My name is Tyler Mon. Uh, and in New York, it is what, Sam Dykstra? It is currently 7.53 p.m. On uh, Thursday. On Thursday, yes. On Thursday. Sorry. It's so weird. It's also it's also weird, man. Um, <laughs> you're the one in the future. Oh, that, you got to be telling me yeah, about things you're seeing. I, uh, I, I come home on Monday. I leave Tokyo at 6 o'clock in the evening on Monday, the 18th of November. I land in Denver at 5.45 in the evening on Monday, the 18th of November. Like, so weird. <laughs> so weird, man. Um, but, uh, hey, with that, we welcome you to this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. I am Tyler Ron. He is Sam Dykstra. Uh, yeah, set to uh, go for three more days of the Premier 12 tournament. Um, watching uh, watching these dudes with this U.S. team who need uh, a win today over Chinese Taipei, their final game of the Super Round, which is what the, uh, the second round of this tournament is called. They need a win, and they need some help. They need some wins. Uh, by other teams, they need Korea and Chinese Taipei to play well in their games uh, after today uh, uh, and help out with wins over Australia and Mexico. Um, right now, the only chance that the, the U.S. has a clinching and Olympic berth coming out of this tournament is if they play Mexico head-to-head in the uh, bronze medal game coming up on Sunday. So we will see. All that remains to be sorted. But we got some stuff coming up for you today here on the show from Premier 12 and also uh, a whole lot of other stuff going on around the minor league world. Yeah, so uh, Tyler, I'm actually going to throw this back to you. This is going to take on on even more of a little bit of an international flair than it already is, but... uh, Today, when we were recording this on Thursday, uh, the Copa de la Diversión identities got announced. Um, 22 new teams are added for this year. 92 teams are going to be participating in 2020. It's obviously the biggest Copa has ever been, uh, which is super exciting. But Tyler actually wrote the story on which new teams are coming together this year, what new identities there, there have been. So, Tyler, what stood out to you? Uh, in writing the story for the MILB.com site. Go check it out now uh, about the new identities yeah. and what what's fresh for the Copa in 2020. 
Yeah, you know, there's um, there's a lot. I kind of going into the interview, and uh, I have to extend my biggest thanks to uh, Chanel Zapata and Corey Bernstein at MILB uh, at the MILB offices to uh, have a, a lengthy conversation with me about things. And um, going into it, I kind of thought, like, how do I make this interesting again? I mean, obviously, the identities are always going to be interesting, but what about it is different this time around than last year or the year before? Uh, Copa de la Diversión, for those who are unaware, is uh, – oh, man, we're getting into the – <laughs> it's just the weirdest place I've ever recorded a podcast in my life. So, just a brief pause. The uh, the ushers here at the Tokyo Dome do this weird thing uh, two hours before game time every single day in which they all walk up and down the sections, waving their arms up and down, and they have these radios that go off, and I have literally no idea what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> but it also, the first time I thought, I was like, are we being invaded by robots? Like, what is going on right now? Um, it is, it is very strange. It's a lot of, uh, kind of funny, but in the Tokyo Dome, they, they play, uh, very popular music, but they play covers of very popular songs. So for example, they'll play like all about that bass by Megan Trainer. but it is like a, it's like a knockoff store brand version of that. I'm assuming for a licensing issue of, of some kind, but the first day that I was here, they're playing these songs. I'm like, why does this song sound a little different? Why does this Chainsmokers song sound a little different? Than I, and then I realized, like, none of them are the actual songs. They play these weird covers, and it's so strange to me. Between uh, between that and the robot invasion going on right now, we got a lot to got a lot of things to contend with. But let's talk Copa. <laughs> so Copa de la Diversión is. Uh, it, a, an outreach uh, initiative for minor league baseball, which is part of the broader MILB outreach initiative called uh, uh, MILBS Divertido. It's fun to be a fan. Um, and it is uh, Copa is the fun cup. If you have not uh, read anything about Copa or seen the Copa identities or anything in uh, in seasons past, um, minor league baseball established this initiative as a way to uh, reach out and engage with Hispanic and Latino communities uh, around the country and took off started in 2017 with four teams as part of just kind of a a pilot run uh very late in that season 2018 grew into uh the 30s 2019 there were 72 teams participating and now 92 teams uh will be here for the 2020 season and uh it's really pretty incredible the the identities uh teams take on a, a different identity a hispanic inspired identity for you know whether it's just uh one name uh, or one night uh or one series or a handful of nights as has been the case over the last few years um teams become a different thing for a night so obviously we've seen some very successful rollouts for uh franchises like albuquerque uh, which won the the title in the first year of the Copa program. They were the uh, Mariachis. They still are the Mariachis. Uh, Fresno with the Lowriders has been uh, a cultural phenomenon. Um, and we have so many new teams that have joined Fold this year. It's obviously awesome, and the most visual element of Copa are these identities. But the thing that I kind of did not realize is how much work minor league baseball teams and staffs and front offices have done in engaging with community organizations. Uh, and uh, Corey at MILB told me that uh, they're still compiling some of the, the data, but it looks as though cash and gifts uh, of similar value to local organizations last year surpassed $400,000 from minor league teams. Um, Copa games uh, have been attended by crowds 20% higher than the average MILB attendance on any given night for, for the uh, 72 teams that were participating in the program last year it's been a really really incredible initiative that i think has gone even more gangbusters than anybody would have expected when it was launched and it was already expected to do pretty well um last year there were roughly 1.8 million fans who attended the nearly 400 copa games uh, across the country the initiative was named a finalist sports business journal sports breakthrough of the year award uh and there are some really amazing things that are going on with this program uh from the identities and i Obviously, the the merchandise and all that type of stuff and what that does to raise awareness of the initiative, but also the way franchises have formed these relationships in their communities uh, with Hispanic and Latino businesses and community leaders and uh, just various organizations that uh, get to be a part of this now. And furthermore, for 2020, 
uh, MILB is continuing to enhance a partnership with Echo Outdoor Power Equipment, which came on last year as the first uh, commercial partner for the COPA program um, and helped launch Project Refresh, which is a campaign uh, in which MILB was able to go into, I think, almost a couple of dozen uh, baseball and softball fields around the country and refurbish them with the help of Echo Outdoor Power Equipment. Um, The uh, first time that MILB will be joined by an official charity partner for the COPA program is 2020. The Lupus Foundation of America uh, will get that designation because that is a disease that disproportionately affects Hispanic and Latino communities. Um, So there are some really, really amazing things going on with COPA, and COPA 3.0 is is very cool. Yeah, and and I'm just really excited that new communities are going to be experiencing this. Um, You know, like we said, 22 new places. Uh, uh, You know, uh, I'll talk to Ben about this a little later. Um, You know, we'll talk about one specific new rebrand, but... You know, it's such an opportunity to reach out to a, a group of fans um, that have been in your communities all along and now get to see a little bit of themselves, you know, at the minor league ballpark. Um, the fact that these 20 new two, 22 new cities have seen the success of that everywhere else, and, and Tyler mentioned the bumps in attendance and what they actually do to the, a night at the ballpark, um, you know, it's just super exciting and to see it expand this way. And, you know, hopefully it's just the continuation of a trend until we can get as many minor league teams as possible involved in this and in the years going forward. So really looking forward to some of these clubs joining in, in 2020. Yeah, it is a, a very cool initiative. All the details on COPA 2020, not all the details, I should say. Um, the, uh, the primary details are up on MILB.com right now, and I say not all the details because we actually have not done this in the fall before. Um, this is uh, a, usually a rollout that happens in March, right before the season starts, but um, this year uh, teams kind of at the urging of teams, teams sort of pushed MILB to, hey, let's drop some interesting Copa over the offseason before uh, the, the award is actually announced uh, for the 2019 season, which will be coming up at the winter meetings uh, in December. So it's a, a two-phase a two-phase rollout for this year, and um, the logos are up. The logos are are amazing and are, are colorful, and, and um, you know some of them are are kind of wacky as you would expect. Amarillo is the pointy boots. Um, you know we've got uh, the uh, uh, Luchadores Manzanas, if I remember correctly. Uh, Rocky Mountain is uh, La Yoronias. Uh, which is uh, kind of a folk tale sort of thing in uh, in Hispanic culture that's explained in the story. Um, so it's a it's a really cool initiative. The initial details on Copa are up on the site right now, and uh, that is strike one on this week's episode of the show before the show. Strike two this week. Let's talk about some baseball stuff as uh, we got some more Milby Award winners. Sam uh, Luis Robert for everything that he did with his uh, offensive season, which was absurd. Uh, and Mackenzie Gore with uh, offensive player and pitcher recognition this year. Two unbelievable seasons for those guys. Yeah, and, and both of those guys are, are people we've been talking about all year round, obviously. So I don't want to add too much here. Um, but, you know, when we talked about our previews for each of these uh, sections of the Milbys, I think it was it was pretty clear that these guys were at least in that upper echelon, you know, maybe front runners, maybe not. Um, but Luis Robert taking offensive player of the year, just somebody who did everything on the field, basically very, very well, climbed all the way to AAA, played at three different levels, tore the cover off the baseball everywhere he went. He was one of two minor leaguers this year, Kyle Tucker being the other, uh, who had 30-30 seasons. Um, <clears throat> he, he played, I, I think, only Dylan Carlson and Mason Martin amongst our finalists played more games than he did. So he did it basically beginning to end. Um, yeah, the numbers were a little bit, uh, you know, affected by the fact that he started out at high A, Winston-Salem, and, you know, was probably too good for that level and showed it very quickly. And that tinges the stats a little bit. And then he finished the year at Charlotte. And uh, Charlotte's an incredible hitter's park, as we know. And AAA numbers took off. So, yeah, his numbers are tinged a little bit that way. But the fact that he was pretty consistent – between Winston-Salem, Double A Birmingham, and Triple A Charlotte, I think tipped him over here. The fact that he could hit home runs, hitting 32, uh, steal bases, stealing 36, had a good average, 
uh, you know, batting 328, had a good OPS at 1.001. WRC plus was 170, which was third best among our finalists. The only guys ahead of him were Ty France and Kevin Crone, who played 76 games and 84 games, respectively. Um, So played far fewer than he did. Uh, That tips him over here. I think Gavin Lux was the other guy a lot of us considered for maybe first place votes. He he got his fair share amongst the staff. Uh, But, you know, at at the end of the day, Lux didn't quite have the power of Robert. He didn't quite have the speed of Robert. Um, So Robert gets the nod there. Mackenzie Gore, uh, even in the headline, we mentioned that he had video game stats. I mean, it was it was tough to ignore this year. A 1.69 ERA between high A Lake Elsinore and double A Amarillo. The fact that he put up a 1.169 ERA despite playing most of the year in the Cal League is incredible. Um, you know, we're going to talk about park factors here in a second. Lake Elsinore is actually a pretty pitcher-friendly stadium for the Cal League, but even then he pitched better on the road uh, during his time at high A than he did at home in Lake Elsinore. So he wasn't just doing this you know, in a pitcher-friendly stadium. He was doing it everywhere. Struck out 135 batters in 101 innings. Only walked 28 in that span. Had a 0.83 whip. Uh, I could keep going, but uh, Mackenzie Gore, you know, one of the top pitching prospects in the game coming into this year, dealt with a blister issue for most of 2018. So, you know, we always thought the stuff was good. Could he put it together? Could it be on the mound for long enough? Got 101 innings, showed his real capability. Probably the top pitching prospect in in baseball now because of that. Um, Some real hype going into 2020, probably starting out at AA Amarillo. But when you look at some of these other numbers, I mean, they're, they're close, but they just didn't match the same level of control, level of ability to get strikeouts, keep batters off the uh, off the base pass. And to do that, in like I said, in a league like the Cal League, was really, really special. So, yeah, Mackenzie Gore uh, moved into that spot with the, the top starting pitcher, Milby, pretty easily uh, this year in the 2019 season. And uh, strike three this week, Park Factor stories back on the site for uh, for Toolshed. This is always one of my, we get this, um, you know, every so often checking in on how uh, ballparks have played around the minor leagues and uh, AAA and AA up first. It's fascinating because we have so many new parks and teams that have moved and levels that have changed and all that type of stuff. Uh, so it's always good to check uh, in on how the, the, uh, ballparks are playing. I guess at AAA, it's, you know, it, it might be a little bit skewed in 2019, but Sam, take us through the Park Factor stories for Strike 3. Well, that's the great thing about Park Factors is that it's it's relative to your league. So, yeah, offense may have gone up across the board, but because everybody was playing with the same ball in the PCL, um, you know, it's all relative. It's all relative to where these games these guys play at home and then where they play on the road. Um, so the, the thing that stood out to me this year in AAA was we got a new stadium in Las Vegas. Uh, Vegas Cashman Field was always going to be a hitter-friendly stadium. Uh, we kind of knew that um, because it, it's at a good elevation. It, it's pretty dry. There, there's a lot of reasons why the ball can travel there. Uh, you know, they mo- opened up Las Vegas Ballpark this year and actually got more hitter-friendly, which was kind of insane. Uh, in 2017 and 2018, Las Vegas had a home run factor of 115. That's on a scale of 100. So 100 being average, it was about 15% better or you know, more homer friendly than your average PCL park. This year in 2019, they move into the new stadium. The home run factor was 153. So 53% more home runs were hit in Vegas than the average PCL park. That's kind of crazy. Uh, All all of this you have to keep in context here because the PCL is a hitter friendly league. So, you know, when when Vegas is 53% better than a league that's already going to favor hitters, that's really, really incredible. Um, it, it's kind of, it's IL foil, I guess, if you want to call it that, is Charlotte. Um, IL is, is by most you know, measures a more fair league than the PCL is. Um, you know, this year with the new Major League Ball, offense took off there, and they ranked 1-2 in a lot of the full season rankings for total offense, so the IL is now trending more towards hitters. But in terms of the parks, it's, it's kind of fair except for Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte, between 2017 and 2019, had a home run factor of 170. Uh, so if you are in playing a game in Charlotte, you are 70% more likely to hit a home run there than your average IL park. That's something we have to kind of keep in mind here. Um, you know, Luis Robert did play a lot of games at Charlotte this year. That's something you have to look at. Uh, when White Sox prospects, so you're, you're looking at guys coming up through the, those ranks. 
uh, you know, what are they doing at AAA? You know, if they're putting up video game numbers, you have to know, hey, they're playing a, a lot of their home games in a launching pad. Um, you know, when I, when I looked at Luis Robert specifically, he had a 695 sl- uh, slugging percentage at home in Charlotte, which is incredible. On the road, he slugged 579, which is still good, but we're talking about a 120-point difference. That's notable. Uh, so that's just things you have to kind of keep in mind. We do this story every couple of years. I think the last time I did it was 2016. I didn't want to update it for 2017 or 2018 um, just because everything was kind of recent. There's sometimes some noise, but generally the numbers are pretty consistent. Three years on, we're getting some of these new stadiums. I, I wanted to revisit it and come back to it and uh, you know see how prospects had done in these places. Speaking of new stadiums, moving to AA real quick, the, the real standout here for me was Amarillo. Amarillo, uh, as, as we know, you know, was a new park for this year. San Antonio became a PCL park. Colorado Springs, which used to be a hitter-friendly place because it was at an extremely high elevation, uh, is now a Pioneer League park. We'll, we'll get to that maybe when I, down the line when I do short season rookie ball. Um, but Amarillo was an unknown. We didn't know what was going to happen there. It's a brand-new minor league stadium, brand-new minor league place. Uh, what is going to happen. And what I learned was Amarillo is one of the windiest places in America. That affected things pretty quickly because Amarillo had a run factor of 151. It had a home run factor of 228, which, again, 100 is average. So this is way above that. Uh, And, yeah, so you were more likely to hit home run there in Amarillo than anywhere else in AA, which is crazy because Redding, we know, is a launching pad in the Eastern League. Uh, and there's some Southern League parks like that as well. There were 206 home runs hit in just 68 games in Amarillo this season. And then on the road, in 70 Amarillo road games, there were only 93. So 206 to 93, that's how you end up with such a crazy home run factor. Um, you know, this is just one season. It's There's a lot of samples in there. Like I said, there's 68 home games, 70 road games. Um, but how is that going to vary as seasons go on? We'll have to see. But the wind really carries the ball there in Amarillo. And, uh, yeah, right now there, there's a lot of Padres prospects that are going to com- be coming up there. That's going to become the launching pad of AA, something to keep in mind for 2020 and beyond. Um, I, I mentioned Reading before for the Eastern League. Hartford is another really hitter-friendly park there. Uh, and then in the Southern League, we're actually losing Mobile next year uh, with the new team moving to Madison, Alabama. Mobile was the most hitter-friendly league in the Southern League. How is Mobile going to play? We're going to have to look at that for 2020. So check out the charts here. They're really fun to play with. Uh, if what, some of your favorite prospects called these places home, be sure to check their splits. I, I pointed out some prospects in which the splits were incredibly extreme. Um, but, yeah, this is, like Tyler said, this is always one of the fun stories to think about because it provides necessary context that we all need when we're considering, pro- considering prospect performance year in year out. Our audio cut out at the end of Three Strikes, so we're going to intro this week's interview uh, right here, and then we'll uh, hear from Alec Baum. Like I said, got a chance to talk to Alec after today's 3-2 victory for the United States over Chinese Taipei. He has been the primary third baseman on this team. He swung a pretty good bat, uh, had some mammoth home runs when the United States uh, advanced from the opening round in Guadalajara, Mexico, to get here to the Super Round in Tokyo, and uh, started off by asking him about that big Brent Rooker home run to keep the U.S. alive for both medal hopes and Olympic hopes in Premier 12 today. It's exciting. He got, he got all of it. And, uh, you know, anytime like, a guy like him's up, just every time he swings, you know, you, you know he's, he's close to putting one over the fence. So, I mean, I knew he got a good pitch to hit. I mean, third, I think it was his third at-bat, and yeah. that guy wasn't going to get him three times. The, uh, the, the offense as a whole, you know, at Guadalajara in here, the dynamic of the ballpark is so different. Um, you know, going through lineup changes, all that type of stuff. You guys obviously know how much talent you've got, one through nine. But the game against Australia, frustrating. Today, for the most part, frustrating. What's the, the conversation like to keep everybody up in the dugout? I mean, obviously, Eric is so big with that and, and some of the voices that you've yeah. got. But what have you guys been talking about? Yeah, there's never any panic. You know, we're always one swing away. You know, just string together a couple at-bats and, you know, just, just like that, we can we can put up five in an inning, you know, because they're up and down. I mean, we got a whole bunch of guys that hit three, four, lead off, two, whatever, throughout the whole season. You know, guys in the nine hole that hit 300 all year. You know, so it's it's a deep lineup. So we know, I mean, 
there's never with me. There's, I'm not, I never have any panic. I know if I don't get it done, like, a good chance the next guy's going to get hit. You know, so there's a lot of talent. Take me uh, through the the selection process for you. When you found out that they USA Baseball was interested in you, and uh, you know you kind of weigh the whole. Do I want to go? You know, Tokyo is November and, and all that type of stuff. I mean, what, how did this whole thing come together for you? It's a no-brainer. You know, for me, they asked if I wanted to do it, and I couldn't say yes fast enough. You know, so I mean. Anytime you get to represent the country, you know, put on the USA jersey, it's, it's special. It's, you know, it's the, the, the fall, the process, you get done with the regular season, you come into the fall, um, and you're, you know, obviously staying um, in that, that game mindset. Um, what, especially when the regular season ends, how do you kind of shut down for a little while and rest and recharge briefly knowing that you're going to get right back in the games pretty soon? Yeah, I mean, for me it was a little different for a couple of us. I mean, we just went right to the fall league, yeah. kept playing. So, I mean, for well, us Yeah, I guess it's fresh. true that it was the next week. Yeah, I think me, Joe, a couple other guys, Ponce, Penn, we, we were pretty fresh. You know, we've been working, playing, so we were in game shape. But for the other guys, I'm, I'm not sure what they did, but I'm sure they kept working out, kept hitting, kept throwing, stayed loose, and, you know, we got together for that camp and played about five scrimmages, exhibitions, four or five, and, you know, got ready to go. So did you basically go straight from the end of the regular season just go straight to Arizona? Yeah, I had about a week, about a week off, and so we went from the playoffs, had a week off, and then we started playing in the fall league. Tell me about the fall league experience. It's such a, you know, it's like you're on an all-star team every day, which probably helps get used to, to something like that for something yeah. like this also, but what was that like going down there and being around so many guys who are super talented and, and the excitement and the fun that you guys all have? In the, it was a lot in the like this. Yeah, I don't know, but we had... It was, just, it was a bunch of guys. I mean, every game, it was like an all-star game. Like you said, you know, you face one guy, and then he starts the game. Next at bat, you're facing another guy. that's really good, and you know, the next, so on. And you know, so I mean, you're getting four or five at bats a day against guys that got really good stuff, and it's it's a challenge, but it's a lot of fun. When you go down there for something like that, do the Phillies give you specific stuff they want you to work on, or are you just down there getting more at bats, more and exact kind of stuff? I mean, for us, it was just you know keep playing and you know go out there and do what you know how to do, but continue to get the reps and face good competition and, you know, get ready to, you know, get a taste of what the next level's like and, you know, just, I mean, the more you see, the more you see the, the high velo, the, the good off-speed, you know, the polished pitcher, the good stuff, you know, obviously the better you get. The, uh... You get into camp, into this U.S. camp, and there are so many different types of guys, so many different types of careers. Obviously, the, the prospect status for so many of you guys and how exciting that is. But you've also got, you know, Brandon Dixon's been over in Japan playing for seven years. Brooks Pounders was in the big leagues last year. He's the only returning guy from this team four years ago. To get a mix of, of guys like that together is so different from what you had in the fall league. What has that been like with the, the way this group is meshed? It's a really cool, you know, dynamic because, like you said, you come in the locker room and you see, you know, a guy like Eric Kratz who's, you know, obviously had a long, good career. And then, you know, you got guys like Dixon who've been over here, and we're all asking, you know, we get over to Japan, we're all asking Dixon questions like about, you know, where to go, what to do. And then, you know, we got guys that are 20, guys that are, you know, middle 20s, guys that are 30s. So, I mean, it's it's a really cool dynamic. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, picking brains going on, you know, talking to older guys that have been around, guys that have been in the big leagues, and, you know, a lot of storytelling, a lot of, you know, just trying to learn from these guys. The uh, That game against Japan a few nights ago, uh, you guys come away with a 4-3 win. There's 35,000 people here. They're they're jumping up and down and chanting and singing and doing stuff that, you know, I mean, playing in the in the minors, you're not going to see a, a 35,000-strong crowd. A lot of nights in the big leagues, you probably won't see a 35. That experience to be, you know, lined up on the baseline, hear your national anthem, take the field, play in a game like that, what was that like? I mean, it's, it's a great honor, but, I mean, for me, hands down, that was the coolest game I ever played in, you know, in an atmosphere like this. and never played in a dome, you know, being in a dome. And just, you know, the crowd, they're all nine innings. There was, they, they didn't, I feel like they didn't sit down. You know, they, were, they were into it the whole game. It was it was something I'd never seen before, and it was, it was really cool. You guys, when you're the, you know, the quote-unquote villain in a scenario like that, you're playing the home team, uh, and you've got a, an entire stadium like that that is 99% against you. Obviously, you got your friends and family right behind the plate, but um, being in that dugout, what what is that experience like for you guys as a group, knowing that, you know, you're you're hanging on, you got a one-run lead late, you end up closing it out, but that, that brotherhood kind of feeling in an atmosphere like that, I would think has got to be pretty special. Yeah, it was, I mean, like I said, it was the coolest thing I've ever been a part of. You know, everybody is locked into every pitch, you know, and it just, it felt like, you know, the game was over like that because it was just, 
like you're just like kind of in that different zone and it was it was something special a couple sure. more for you i'll get you out of here the um the off season uh coming up what is what are the things you're most excited about you finally get a chance to shut down for a little while and get to go home what are the things you're most excited about when this is over and you get to relax for a little bit Man, i think i'm i think i'm gonna sleep for two days straight <laughs> But no, I'm gonna I'm gonna go home, see my family, see my friends. You know, take a couple weeks off and just relax and you know hit the reset button. And then you know it's gonna be a short off season, so I'm you know after a couple weeks, you get back into it, start lifting, start working out, trying to get strong, and you know get my body ready for another 160 games. Last thing, you go into next year. What are the things that you're most focused on in 2020? You want to accomplish? You want to get better at? I mean, obviously it's always a little bit of everything. But is there anything that you're really focused on next year? I think just I want to take the same approach I took in the last offseason. You know, I I did a lot of just trying to maintain, not maintain, but you know, try to do a lot of things to keep my body ready to play the whole season. You know, I had the injury in my first half season, so I wanted to you know make sure. Like obviously that was a freak thing, but you know it kind of opened my eyes to you know I want to be on the field every day, and so I, you know I did a lot of things to try to keep myself in a good shape and make sure that you know, I was available every day. Congrats on this one and best of luck the rest of the way, man. Appreciate it. Joining us this week for his weekly segment, and a pretty big week in terms of minor league business and rebrands and names. And we talked about COVID stuff before, but we're going to talk about a new uh, brand name on the minor league landscape with Ben Hill. Ben, how are you doing? Doing well, Sam. Thank you very much. We are in a, uh, a room that doesn't even have a, a name or number. <laughs> yeah. It's just a, a wild card room, uh, completely abandoned. But there is a um, a small tube of Eucerin Dry Skin Therapy hand cream, and I've used it. So you are hearing the voice right now of a man with very smooth hands. <laughs> I've never thought about that in terms of, you know, you always talk about, like, things that shouldn't be on podcasts is when we're describing this room, and now we know exactly the quality of your hands, which is good. Yeah, I'd like to thank whoever left this tube of Eucerin. And uh, they're not a sponsor. <laughs> they're not a sponsor. We cannot stress that enough. They are not a sponsor. But if you do want to get in touch, uh, representatives from Eucerin, uh, Dry Skin Therapy Hand Cream, I just used it and I had a good experience. Well, hopefully that conveys on this week's segment. But uh, yeah, like we were saying, big, big news this week uh, on the AAA side of Meyer League Baseball. Uh, the New Orleans baby cakes are no more. We knew that was coming. They'll be moving to Wichita, Kansas, which will become Kansas's only minor league baseball team. They get one right there in the Pacific Coast League, right there at AAA, pretty big deal, coming in 2020. Now we know their identity. Ben, what can you tell us about who Wichita will be in 2020 and going forward? Yeah, and as you just said, Kansas's only minor league baseball team, there's also no major league baseball team in Kansas. Yeah. Despite the existence of a team called... Kansas City. Really makes you think. Uh, But yes, uh, Wichita last had baseball in the form of the Wichita Wranglers, who you may remember. Uh, They played uh, through 2007 before relocating to Springdale, Arkansas, and becoming the Northwest Arkansas Naturals. Um, This team is the relocating New Orleans Baby Cakes, and it's the same ownership group. Uh, A lot of the same core staff members made the move from New Orleans to Wichita. And I think early on you might think, well, this is a team that went with Brandios and changed their name to the Baby Cakes, you know, just several years earlier in Wichita. Maybe they're going to make take a similar um, approach, but no. Wichita's new AAA team, uh, they did not go with Brandios to design the logos. They went with Todd Radom, who is a uh, you know, veteran sports design individual who's done a lot of great work through the years. Uh, they went with Todd Radom, and they came up with this name, the Wind Surge, the Wichita Wind surge. Which is two names, or two words, rather. This is not what we talked about, like intercaps, where it's capital W, capital S, but it's one word. This is wind, space, surge. Right. It is not that compound word with the capital S in one. Right. Thank you for pointing that out in this uh, audio medium where you cannot see <laughs> that. Yeah, the Wichita wind surge. And, um, you know, Wichita can be a windy place. It is, you know, the air capital of the world. Uh, more How did they come up with that, by the way? Well, that's more related to uh, the presence of Boeing in Wichita, uh, a lot of the aviation industry being centered in Wichita. Uh, before the Wranglers, uh, there was a AAA team in the now defunct American Association, which was called the Arrows, A-E-R-O-S, uh, referencing you know Wichita's role in aviation. Uh, but Wind Surge, with this Pegasus uh, in the primary logo, 
this Pegasus kind of moving, surging forward through the W representing Wichita. Um, the general uh, consensus and the, the feeling behind this name is that yes, there's the, you know, the Wranglers. Like, like these other teams were referencing things that Wichita had been known for, you know, Wranglers, cows, cowboys, horses, um, you know, arrows, aviation history. But you know, there's a new ballpark being built on the same site where the previous ballpark was, Lawrence Dumont Stadium, that hosted those aforementioned other minor league teams that Wichita had. But there's this idea that with this new ballpark, uh, downtown development in general, um, and just the spirit of the city right now, that it is a city that is surging forward, that is not looking at the past so much as looking at the future and deciding what it's going to be known for going forward. So the Pegasus and the wind surge name is, uh, you know, really in relation to the spirit of the city right now. And as um, Assistant General Manager Bob Moulet told me, you know, a city exponentially surging forward. You know, I also talked to Todd Radom, who designed the logos, and, uh, you know, he was saying, you know, some names, you know, lend themselves to a visual identity fairly easily. Um, you know, and this one doesn't really. You know, how do you depict a wind surge? So you have the Pegasus, you have these word marks that, you know, the text is a bit italicized, uh, moving forward. Apparently also, you don't think of city flags uh, being particularly, you know, well known. Like, does New York City even have a city flag? Oh, yeah, of course it does. Well, it's got the blue, white, and orange. Right. See, I don't even know. I've, li it, I've lived it, here I, for I 17 like years. That that's a big deal. I mean, right. Like, not a lot of cities have that. Yeah, some, some states... Um, the state flag is bigger than others. You know, Tyler Mon can talk at length. Um, you know, our, our dear, not dear departed Tyler Mon, but uh, <laughs> Tyler, who is a, in, in Japan as we speak right now. Um, you know, he can speak at length about, you know, the Colorado state flag. But I, I personally hadn't thought of state flags or city flags being like a big deal to a particular city. But apparently in Wichita, the Wichita city flag is a very pop popular visual icon. Uh, so there is a key logo that uh, references the colors and style of the Wichita state flag, this kind of rotating red and white color with a baseball in the middle. Uh, but this is an interesting name, um, you know, where you have your sod poodles, your yard goats. You might get a lot of the initial blowback. This is too stupid and goofy and silly. But you also have these animals and this branding you can imagine around the ballpark. Wind surge, it is a little hard, harder to to kind of to know right now before the stadium opens, how is the wind surge brand going to really be part of, you know, their identity? Because, you know, what is a wind surge mascot? Is it a Pegasus? You know, is it, yeah. what, what is the mascot for something like a wind surge? Uh, how do you brand around a wind surge? And again, talking to Bob Millette, the assistant general manager, and he said, you know, we can tap into all, all sorts of other elements of Wichita's culture, history, um, present, past, uh, in branding it, we don't have to be specifically related to the wind surge name, uh, but it is a little bit more of an interesting one, and, and not so much in line, both visually and with the story behind it, than you know other things we've become accustomed to in minor league baseball through the years. And uh, I think it's an outlier even in this year's rebranding season, which has been fairly diverse just in terms of the approach. We had, you know, Fredericksburg moving from Potom Potomac and just keeping the Nationals name. We have the Fredericksburg Nationals was the first rebrand. We had uh, the Kannapolis Cannonballers, which we talked about, uh, the Missoula Paddleheads, and now uh, as Logo Vember or whatever you want to call it, it rolls on the Wichita Wind Surge as Wichita surges forward toward 2020 and opening a new ballpark in downtown Wichita where Lawrence Dumont Stadium once stood. And we talked about this in the opening segment of the show with Tyler before, um, but Ben, you know, this is obviously a lot of your beat as well. Uh, we'll move on now to, to Copa. Just first off, your general thoughts as we expand out. We added 22 teams this year. I think there are 92 total now. Um, as this is kind of expanding, how are you seeing teams take on Copa? And what are you thinking about, you know, some of the 2020 rebrands that are coming? I mean, I think it's pretty cool overall. I mean, last year was a major bonanza um, as, you know, because in 2017 there was only, I can't remember, but only a couple dozen teams maybe that, that participated. I think it was in the 30s, yeah. Yeah, and then last year it just exploded, more than doubled. And, and uh, so this year, you know, with so many teams already on board, this year is a little smaller, uh, I believe, 22 new participating teams. And, you know, now that we know the general style and aesthetic of COPA, it isn't as much like, oh my God, what is this? You kind of know, you don't know what's coming necessarily specifically, but I mean, I think what we're seeing, you know, is in line with uh, what we've seen in the past. And it is a mix of, uh, 
you know, food items, uh, names that reference, uh, you know, occupations and elements of the city's past, and, uh, you know, folklore uh, and uh, stories, you know, that are central to Hispanic culture. So I can't say, like, on the whole, there was anything that I was like, whoa, I've never seen this before. But it's great to see more teams participating. Um, you know, I hesitate, hesitate to say every team should do it because it does depend on the market and your resources and whatnot. But to now have be over 90 teams, over half of minor league baseball, I think as many teams as possible should do it and, uh, you know, continue to, to reach uh, the Hispanic demographic, which that's the reason this whole thing started. It has historically been underrepresented. And especially when we look at the composition of, you know, the rosters of these teams, um, I think it's also important that the the fan, not the fan rosters, but the fan, the fans in the stands, uh, you know, are equally represented. And so uh, this is always a great way to do that and connect with it. And uh, you know, then the name and the logos are just a jumping point, a starting point, really, to develop these relationships that, if they hadn't been established, really needed to be uh, with local Hispanic business owners, with uh, cultural groups, with the Hispanic Chamber of Commerces, uh, whatever whatever um, you know entities you can reach and uh, have a you know a better excuse and more context to get in touch with and uh, to really make inroads, uh, you know, getting those fans in the ballpark. Mm. And it's not just fans either. I mean, how much of the game now is Hispanic in in terms of players on the field? Um, you know, this could be a celebration of that, even if you are looking at your home demographics and maybe thinking like, oh, we're in an area that there's not a huge Hispanic population. Maybe we don't need to do this. A core of your team guaranteed is going to be Hispanic, whether it's Dominican, Cuban, Mexican, whatever, Venezuelan, uh, Colombian, in, in some cases, on down the line. Um, it's a really, really fun initiative and way to celebrate fans, players, the, the whole, all of what Hispanic culture has brought to to minor league baseball and baseball at large. Um, but we want to talk about one team specifically because you've got a cool story coming out about one particular brand for 2020. And it's Las Lloronas de Montaña Rocosa, which for those of you at home is the Rocky Mountain Vibes, their new thing. But Lloronas is not Vibes. That's not the, the direct translation here. Why are they going with Lloronas, which is kind of fun given what we know about what the Rocky Mountain vibes are going for on a normal basis. Yeah, well, you know, I was looking at the 22 teams uh, that are participating for the first time. You know, uh, Tyler was writing a more general overview story, which I'm sure you've already talked about. Um, so I was looking at the new teams and saying, hmm, what one really jumps out and kind of seems like it has the most interesting story? And that for me was uh, Rocky Mountain with this uh, La Llorona uh, identity. And uh, La Llorona is a a Mexican folklore uh, legend that I'd never heard before, but essentially it was a woman, you know, when she was alive, she was named Maria. And the story, you know, like, like, like legends and myths and folklores, you know, there can be all sorts of different variations, but generally what I've been able to gather, this is a woman who uh, married a man and was, you know, increasingly rejected by this man. Uh, they had children, but he only paid attention to the children. And one day she just snaps and she drowns her kids in the river. And then after she died, uh, you know, she got stuck in this purgatory. She couldn't go to heaven, and she had to find her children instead. And now she's this white, uh, weeping woman ghost who uh, traverses all over the Southwest searching for her children. So it's a pretty dark story. Yeah. <laughs> and um, But a lot of it is... Um, I talked to a man named Joe Aldaz who had um, suggested this to um, the, the Rocky Mountain Vibes as a potential... He was the president of the... Uh, Colorado Springs Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and uh, Chris Phillips, the Vibes general manager, was meeting with him and it was Joe Aldaz who said, well, you know, uh, when you're talking about COPA and potential things, this is a story that comes to my mind of La Llorona and we all heard it growing up and if we were, you know, outside playing too late, you know, your grandparents or your mom might yell like, get inside now or La Llorona is going to come get you. It was one of those, uh, one of those things and he said, you know, if you're uh, Hispanic, maybe not all over the country, but especially from the Southwest, if you're from Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, then you almost certainly know these stories about uh, La Llorona. And uh, I liked that the team, that the vibes were willing to go with this dark story, have a correspondingly kind of spooky logo of this uh, ghostly woman with a rose in her hair and this face that kind of generally resembles a, it's like a baseball mask almost, uh, if you describe it. Her lips look almost like a, baseball scenes, but not in like a goofy, overly cartoonish way. No, it's um, very artistic. It's, you can see this as like a tattoo. Yeah, almost. exactly. It's, it's, it's a really cool logo. Check it out. And um, so I was talking to the team about it, and, and you know, Chris Phillips, the team's GM, said, you know, 
we weren't really going for this, but the more we thought about it, you know, the more we did think this tied into the Vibes brand, you know, which is kind of an offshoot of this proposed happy campers identity that celebrates life in the outdoors and camping and their mascot is a s'more. So he's like, you know, think of telling this story of La Llorona around the campfire. And, uh, you know, that kind of ties into this Rocky Mountain Vibes persona that we got going. So anyway, of the 22 new identities, this is the one that jumped out the most to me and decided to feature it in a story. And it'll be out uh, on Friday, the same day that you are listening to this podcast. Don't read the story while you're listening to the podcast because it could, I understand, it gets a little confusing. But please check out the story. What, what I really like, I know you say this ties into the whole Vibes thing that they're going for, but I actually like it as a contrasting feature in that, you know, these initiatives are, are chances to try something new. Not everything has to tie into, hey, what are we, you know, from game one to game 140 and how does that tie in? Do something new. Like, this is something completely different in a way. Yeah, yeah. And I think Chris Phillips was saying that, like, they were willing to go in this direction anyway. And it's sort of like retroactively, belatedly, like, hey, we can also tie this into our, our main brand. But absolutely, I agree with you. It doesn't necessarily need that tie in. And a great part of Copa is the ability to do something new. And to have a complete, you know, a visual identifier that is completely separate from what you do on a day-to-day basis over the course of, you know, if you're full season team, seventy games a year, home games a year. Mm. And um, so now for something completely different, uh, we've got a, a new thing up. That I don't think we've ever done that this at least on this level before. Um, as everybody knows, Ben has traveled all across the minor league landscape the last couple of years. Been to every minor league park. Along the way, you pick up some really cool stuff. Um, we're moving offices soon. A lot of the stuff you had to get rid of. But w- the way we're going to do that this year is through a really cool sweepstakes through the Meyer League Twitter account. What can you tell us about what we're calling Win Ben Hill's Stuff? Yeah, you know, through traveling, I never ask teams for anything, but often people just give me stuff. Um, people send me stuff, you know, just in the sort of job I have, you end up with a lot of swag for lack of a better way to put it. And Sam, as you know, um, sitting, you know, two cubicles over from me currently with an empty one in between, uh, you <laughs> for know, legal purposes, we e- have one in between. Yeah, one in between. Exactly. Um, you know, I have a lot of the stuff that I've accumulated just sort of stashed in bags in this empty cubicle, like under the desk, on top of the desk. Uh, I have some of it at home. But, you know, we're New York City residents. You know, I live in a, an apartment. I can't keep everything I get. And now that uh, we're moving, I can't just take bags and bags of swag uh, from one place to the next. So, yeah, we're giving it away on Twitter. So uh, this week has been the first of what will be six weekly uh, sweepstakes called Win Ben Hill Stuff with a different prize bundle each week. And uh, to win, all you have to do is, well, you have to be on Twitter. And then if you're on Twitter... You have to follow at Milb, the minor league baseball account, at Ben's Biz, me, and uh, retweet, give an RT, a retweet to the MILB tweet that says, how would you like to win Ben Hill's stuff? Enter the sweepstakes by following Milb and Ben's Biz and retweet, retweeting this post. And so um, anyone who does that, who follows Milb and Ben's Biz and retweets this one tweet is entered, and uh, then we'll do a random drawing each week. And uh, for each of the next six weeks, uh, someone will win a uh, package of stuff uh, from my personal collection of, sw- <laughs> of minor league baseball swag. And we should actually tell people like what this is. This is not just like, hey, I got some pencils when I went to Lancaster that one time. No disrespect to the pencils that the Lancaster Jethawks no, give away. No, of course away. not. But some of the best pencils in minor league baseball. I'm sure. Um, you got to hold on to those, though. That, that wind at the hangar could kind of pick those up. Yeah. But um, for this first week, what you're giving away or, you know, what people can win, I shouldn't say just giving away, but uh, is a Lake Elsinore Storm basketball jersey that was made to, to celebrate LeBron James's arrival in L.A. Mm-hmm. A uh, Hartford Steamburgers. Is it steamed? Steamburgers. Steamed burgers. I always thought it was uh, steamed burgers t-shirt, a Toledo Mud Hens hat, and some cards. And well. some Topps Ben's Biz cards that we'll throw into uh, every single uh, prize package. Uh, yeah, so that's that's what it is for this week. Each week there'll be about that many things. Uh, we have some pretty special ones coming up that I think will be a little more sought after and hopefully get that retweet count up into the, uh, who knows, dare to dream, even the four digits. Right now, <laughs> right now we got a little over 200, and uh, this week's contest ends uh, tomorrow, Friday at 5 p.m. So if you're listening right now and have not entered yet, please do so. Just give a retweet to that post. Follow, yeah. follow me at and, Ben's Biz. And keep coming back because, like you said, there, we're going to have six of these. This is just week one. 
Um, we'll be revealing more about what's in each package each week. So keep coming back to the MILB Twitter account to find out about those sweepstakes. Uh, ben, we'll talk about, I'm sure, more of these packages in the weeks to come. But uh, yeah, we'll catch you next week. Thanks, Sam. And before I go, I hesitate to bring this up you know, in a public forum, but I did hear something a little disturbing about you that I just want to oh, bring up and uh, get on the record. And um, I don't know. I, I did find it a little disturbing, but here we go. I heard that when you have a Tootsie Pop, yeah. you only eat the lollipop portion and then throw out the Tootsie Roll on a stick. This is true, yeah. That is disturbing. It's not disturbing. The, uh, the actual, I don't know, the candy portion, I guess we want to call that, is if they just made that as a lollipop, I would have that all the time. Cherry is what I grew up with. My dad used to be a teacher, and he used to give out to his students Tootsie Roll Pops. I grew up on the stuff. Used to love it. Used to look for the, the Native American shooting the star to try to win something that nobody ever actually won, I think. Um, but yeah, never actually liked the taste of Tootsie Roll. So I don't, I was having this discussion with somebody earlier this week. I don't know if it's the Tootsie Roll that infuses the rest of it with flavor. Like if you took out that, would it still taste as good? Or did they just hit a home run with the candy portion itself? But that's all I want out of it. So I, I get what I want out of it, and I discard the rest. I have no problem with that. All right, fair enough to each his own. I, I, I do find that to be a pretty aberrational behavior. And uh, hit Sam up on Twitter, at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B, and uh, give him your own thoughts on uh, the proper way to eat a Tootsie Pop. Okay, that's fair enough. Okay. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Sam. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Thanks for hanging in with us on uh, kind of an unorthodox uh, episode of the podcast. But things get relatively back to normal next week. I will be uh, back home in the United States and uh, we will get back to normal uh, just ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday and winter meetings and all that type of stuff, which is coming up. So uh, big thanks as always to uh, everybody on the show today. Sam Dykstra was always the one to make this thing sound smart. Uh, Benjamin Hill as well, who you can find on Twitter and everywhere else at Ben's Biz and the Ben's Biz and also at MILB.com slash Ben's Biz. And Alec Baum, who was uh, really kind to take some time out of his uh, walk back to the hotel today to uh, catch up with us and uh, and share some thoughts from here in Tokyo. So uh, my name is Tyler Ron for Sam Dykstra. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.